Hey guys, welcome to PT Snacks Podcast. This is Casey, your host, and I'm so glad you're here today. Welcome. If this is your first time listening in, what you need to know is that this podcast is meant for physical therapists and physical therapist students who are looking to grow your practice, but do it in bite-sized segments of time. So if you're not a physical therapist, you're welcome anyways, but just understand the context of who I'm speaking to. So Last episode, episode 28, we talked about hamstring strains, who gets them, differential diagnosis, and then how we can evaluate their prognosis for a return to sport. But in this episode, we're going to dial in a little bit more on actual treatment of hamstring strains. So by this point, we've already taken a look at them, we've evaluated them, and we have a good understanding of what their potential impairments are. So as a reminder, a lot of the things that we're addressing are modifiable risk factors like hamstring weakness, or do they have an imbalance in their hamstring eccentric versus quad concentric strength? Do they have any flexibility impairments like in their quads and hip flexors? Are there any strength and coordination deficits of their pelvic and trunk musculature? Do they have any neural irritation or tension? Like think about the pathway of the sciatic nerve to the hamstrings. If the hamstrings have some scarring and inflammation going on, there's a possibility that the sciatic nerve is a little a little miffed, so probably need to address that. And then another thing that I think is a big deal to address is psychosocial factors, fear avoidant behavior. Is your patient confident in their ability to go back to their sport without re-injury? Are they, are they stressed out about that? Because that's something that we should be addressing in our rehabilitation anyways. Okay, so how are we treating from big picture perspective Typically, our research supports more eccentric strength training and then also neuromuscular control to reduce the likelihood of re-injury. And they are also pro-progressive agility and trunk stabilization program over progressive stretching and strengthening. Will they be able to do that right away? No, but this has been shown to be more effective and with less likelihood of re-injury than just general progressive strengthening or, or things like that. So something to keep in mind, you're trying to gear them towards eccentric. Because if you think about how these muscles are injured, what is the type of muscle contraction that they're going through? And in what position are they in? A lot of times it's an eccentric muscle contraction with near end muscle length positioning. So if we want to be more specific to their treatment... Why wouldn't we try and mimic that? So that's the kind of goal to work towards. So check out below for more information on the research articles that I was looking at. There's some great stuff in there. One of them in particular, I really liked the way that they broke down treatment of hamstring strains into phases because every person is a little different. You need to evaluate the deficits of that person and make their program specific to them because they might not have any flexibility deficits. So don't waste your time giving them a stretch when you could spend more time on maybe like neuromuscular control or strengthening in general, or do they need a little bit more extra help with addressing the fear avoidant behavior of that too. So please do not just give someone general exercises because we should be skilled and be able to be specialized in our treatment to somebody. Um, so I'm going to step off of my soapbox now and let's get back into the research article I'm talking about in general. So um, this is Hydersheet et al. They break it down into phase one, phase two, and phase three. So in the first phase, when that patient is coming in, they've probably got a lot of swelling, irritation, bruising, probably got some limited range of motion. They might not even be able to walk right because 
putting themselves through a normal stride length is painful. And we are not giving them eccentrics in that phase. What we're trying to do is help them to control their pain and their swelling and reduce their range of motion that is painful so that they can actually heal instead of having repetitive stress put on them over and over again, which causes more and more scar tissue. Okay. And so maybe you're icing early on, um, some research supports the use of NSAIDs, but in our, our exercise prescription, you know, a lot of the things that we're doing is protective range of motion. We're trying to give them some isometrics, maybe some single leg balance, and then even some like frontal plane stepping drills. We're not really diving into isolated resistive training of the hamstring muscle because we're trying to control pain. So if we want them to move on to phase two, this article has some great progression criteria where first, let's just make sure they can walk normal without any pain. Can they handle like a very low speed jogging without any pain? And can they handle pain-free isometric contraction at like 50 to 70% resistance of their other side in a prone knee flexion at 90 degrees? They can do that? Great. Okay. Now we get to move on to phase two where we're starting to up the ante a little bit and increase the intensity of their exercise. So we can move on from the pain and swelling and more of doing neuromuscular training at slightly faster speeds and larger amplitudes? Can we start some eccentric training with them too? We're still protecting, but they might not need as much protection as they did in phase one. Um, Yes, you can still ice after they did the exercises because we're adding new stress, but a lot of our exercises themselves involve more things like Neuromuscular control, maybe some agility drills as tolerated, some trunk stabilization. Maybe we can do some more things like bridge walkouts or eccentric strengthening near the mid-length of the muscles where they're not on the full stretch, but we're starting to slowly lengthen those muscles themselves. They should be able to have full strength without pain at one rep max of an isometric manual test with the knee at 90 degrees and prone. So stick them in prone, bend them to 90 They have full strength side to side. You cannot notice a difference uh, with their isometric manual test. You're also hoping that by now they can do forward and backward jogging at 50% of their max speed with no pain, which is exciting, right? Now we can move on to phase three. And so now in phase three, we're hoping to not really have to protect anything right now. It's more of, okay, let's get them back to return to sport. So we're doing high-speed neuromuscular training and eccentrics in a lengthened position for a return to sport. So you're basically trying to mimic things that challenge them more and you're incorporating maybe more planes of movement. Have we done transverse? Are we doing asymmetrical positions? Um, Are they able to tolerate eccentric hamstring strengthening towards their end range um, without any pain? And then keep in mind, this is kind of like a return to sport assessment. So are we doing things that mimic their sport? Are we giving them, like, are they, if they're a dancer, are we trying to incorporate some of their in-range dancing movements in our rehab and taking into account what they need to be able to accomplish that? Or are they a sprinter and we're trying to get them back to more frontal plane, powerful movements and running drills? Or is it a multi-planar sport? Well, let's make sure we're training them in 
multiple planes of movement together. Because if you just give someone sagittal plane movements and they're going sagittal, transverse, frontal, all at the same time, are they prepared for that? So there's not really strict return to sport criteria that I've found. Maybe you found something, but some of the suggestions that this article in particular gave for return to sport are, okay, let's make sure they can do four consecutive pain-free reps of max effort muscle manual testing and prone with their knee flexed at 90 and 15 degrees. Because if you remember from before 15 degrees, we have definitely lengthened the hamstring muscle. There's less cross-linking going on. And so um, we're trying to evaluate at their in-range flexibility, their ability to be strong. And then they also mentioned isokinetic tests. So if you have access to this, this is actually really great rather than isometric testing because it allows you to see deficits side to side. And then in our research, they quote concerns of eccentric hamstring and concentric quad deficit due to an inability of the hamstring to match the strength of the quad when you're going through that terminal swing phase. So what you want to look at, if you have access to this again, is do they have a deficit of less than 5% side to side? And is there a less than 5% bilateral deficit in eccentric hamstring to concentric quad? And then you're also doing functional ability testing, trying to incorporate more sport-specific movements for the athlete with nearly maximum intensity and, and speed as you're able to do in your clinic. Maybe your clinic isn't as well set up for that, but do the best that you can, right? The other article that I mentioned below with Erickson and Sherry, they're looking at first, is it tender to palpation? If it's not, great. We get to move on to the next one. Um, Do they have a less than 10% deficit with passive flexibility? Um, They use the same isokinetic criteria as I just mentioned in terms of like the um, hamstring strain side to side and then the hamstring eccentric to quad concentric strength ratio. Again, all of it less than 5% deficit. They mention the active hamstring test or the H test where the athlete is asked to perform a straight leg raise as fast as they can to the highest point without fear of injury. This addresses more of like that fear avoidant behavior and what they're looking at is if that athlete feels insecurity when they're doing that, they're stressed out about re-injuring themselves, they probably need another one to two weeks of rehab and then you can repeat the test, but they might not be ready before it. And then also functional tests. So can they do single leg hamstring bridge? Um, If they can only do less than 20, that's pretty poor. 25 is average and then more than 30 is good. And then of course, let's get them back to sports specific movements. Do they exhibit any pain or hesitation? So those are some examples that you incorporate in your practice and also great education for your patient who's rearing to go back, but you don't really feel like they're ready for. So if you can give them objective criteria of like, Hey, you can't even do a single leg bridge. What makes you think you're ready? Um, that at least gives them a goal to shoot for rather than just feeling like you're the bad guy. Now here's another thing too. There's a huge risk of re-injury. So anytime a second injury happens, it's usually a lot more severe than the first, and it takes almost double the time away from sport than the initial one did. And I remember I mentioned before the non-modifiable risk factors. One of them is prior history of an injury. On top of that, too, one-third of hamstring injuries recur in like the first two weeks back to sport. And a lot of that, too, is just 
you know, our muscles are still in the remodeling phase in that, and that can happen for several months, but there may not be fully matured yet within that two weeks of going back. But then that leads us to a question like, are we really that great at treating this? Are we treating a mid-belly muscle strain the same as we're treating a proximal free tendon hamstring strain? They're different injuries. They're different mechanisms. Are we, are we specialized towards that? Are we addressing things that are the most impactful for that patient? So how do we prevent this from happening again? These are not fun to deal with. Let's try and avoid it for our patients, right? So there's actually pretty poor evidence for flexibility training. I don't know if that makes sense to you. It makes sense to me in that it's an active injury, meaning the muscles are firing. So we should probably prepare the muscles to be firing rather than have them in a relaxed position. There's not a lot of evidence for electrophysical agents and massage therapy for treatment. So I would probably, uh, you know, use your time elsewhere. Um, other things for prevention. Are we adding exercises that support eccentric hamstring to offset the concentric action of quadriceps and terminal swing? Uh, what about neuromuscular control? Are we adding in movements that in address this, such as high knee marching, quick support running drills, falling forward running drills, and explosive starts? Probably something I should incorporate so I stop injuring myself, right? Um, and then also you can even play around with varying trunk movements and running, like a more upright position um, versus a forward flex position um, and how that affects the load on the hamstrings themselves. So hopefully you found this useful. Please reach out if you have any questions. Um, you can do that at ptsnackspodcast at gmail.com to email me or find me on Instagram if you have that at ptsnackspodcast. And stay tuned. Uh, as I mentioned before, I am very technologically challenged, but I am working on putting it together an email newsletter. If uh, you'd rather have some study tools that are right in your inbox, I, I promise it won't be just a bunch of spam. But I haven't launched it yet. But if you want to go ahead and sign up, it's that link is live on my website on the homepage where you can sign up for that newsletter. But if you haven't already, go ahead and hit follow so you don't miss anything. Tell a friend if you're enjoying this podcast so that it benefits them too, because that's the heart behind this is that it's concise, but also helpful because I want you to be able to do other things in your life that you enjoy. And then as well, if you would like to support the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps me out. Um, and then if you want to support financially, there's a link below for buy me a coffee, where even if you just do like a dollar a month, that helps me to cover my overhead so that I can keep doing this. I really enjoy it. And I really enjoy helping people, but I also want to be able to keep doing it. So thank you guys for listening. Please let me know if you need anything until next time.